fantastic. Thank you, Sam. Be there in a moment. That's fine. There's nothing on the first slide anyway. We're going to turn to somebody around you. If somebody's sitting near you, you've not got anybody to talk to, make sure you've got look after everybody. What would you do if you were given one million pounds this evening? Discuss. Okay, change of tone. What would you do if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow? And I'm going to be fair right now, it's already gone seven o'clock. I'd prefer that you stay to the end of the service. So I'm going to give you till midnight tomorrow. What would you do if you knew you'd die tomorrow? wonder what your priorities were and whether they were very different things between those two questions, whether you had different thoughts on what is important. But that last question is really important because it's the context for this evening's reading. Jesus has spent three years teaching and is now coming to Jerusalem with his disciples for the annual Passover festival. And John, the writer of the account of the life of Jesus, tells us that Jesus knew that his time had come. He knew that this very night he would be betrayed. In the early hours of the morning, he would be arrested. He would be beaten and put through a mock trial. And in the morning, he would be nailed to a cross. And by the afternoon, he would die. And whatever you may have felt, or maybe you try to avoid feeling, on being told that you would die tomorrow, Jesus is working on a timeline where not only he'll die tomorrow, but he'll lose his freedom this very night. This is his last night. So keep that in mind as I read our passage. It's John 13, verses 1 to 20. It was before the festival of Passover. Jesus knew that his time had come, the time for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved his own people in the world. Now he loved them right through to the end. It was supper time. The devil had already put the idea of betraying him into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. So he got up from the supper table, took off his clothes, and wrapped a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a bowl and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel he was wrapped in. He came to Simon Peter. Master, said Peter, what's this? You washing my feet? You don't understand yet what I'm doing, replied Jesus. 
but you'll know afterwards. I'm not going to have you washing my feet, said Peter, never. If I don't wash you, replied Jesus, you don't belong to me. All right then, master, said Simon Peter, but not only my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. Someone who has washed, said Jesus to him, doesn't need to wash again except for their feet. They are clean all over, and you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus knew, you see, who was going to betray him. That's why he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, he put on his clothes and sat down again. Do you know what I've done to you? He asked. You call me teacher and master, and you're right. That's what I am. Well then, if I, as your master and teacher, washed your feet just now, you should wash each other's feet. I've given you a pattern so that you can do things in the same way that I did to you. If you, do these, if you know these things, God's blessing on you if you do them. I'm not talking about all of you, he went on. I know the ones I have chosen. What the Bible says has come true. The person who ate my bread lifted his heel up against me. I'm telling you this now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am who I am. I'm telling you the solemn truth. Anyone who welcomes someone I send welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. You have, may have answered that going to die tomorrow question with something about spending time with friends, and that's exactly what Jesus did. But before sitting down to dinner with them, First, he took off his tunic, took up a towel, and washed everyone's feet. This may be a really familiar story to you, and you know that washing feet was the lowest job in a household. Roads were dusty or muddy, with animal urine or dung, hopefully just animal, and feet were calloused and fungal and verrucary. It's a really gross job that not only was given to the lowest slave, by tradition that had to be a Gentile slave, a non-Jew, an outsider. This was such a low, disgusting job that even a Jewish slave wasn't allowed to do it. And that's what Jesus did when he knew that he was going to die tomorrow. And he tells his followers to do the same. You call me teacher and master, and you're right, that is what I am. Well then, if I, as your master and teacher, wash your feet just now, you should wash each other's feet. I've given you a pattern so you can do things in the same way that I did to you. I've given you a pattern. It's your job, says Jesus, to get up off your backsides and do the dirty work. Serve each other, doing the tasks that we look down on. Humble yourselves. But we're not to emulate the servant king to become king-like, but servant-like. We're not to seek God's kingdom so we can have a slice of kingship. The slave doesn't become greater than the master. The person who's sent doesn't become greater than the sender, Jesus says. And if you get it, If you do it, 
you'll find God's blessing in the midst of your service. So be sincere in your humility, Jesus is saying. Don't kid yourself that you're doing menial things to show how humble you are. God will bless you for your humble work, but don't do the work to earn God's blessings. And don't kid yourself that doing the menial things is right and good if it's your way of avoiding difficult things that you should be doing instead. Stacking chairs can be a humble service distraction if what you actually need to be doing is having the awkward conversation to reconcile a relationship. Volunteering to spend all your time feeding the homeless can be a humble service distraction from applying to music college because actually that's your gift and calling, but it means you have to leave the safety of home. Or it could be a humble service distraction from spending time at home working on your strained relationship with your spouse. Or a humble service distraction from facing and sorting out your growing financial debts. What are the motives of your service? If they're pride or reward, think again. But also think again if they're avoidance. Jesus knew who he was, his value, his purpose, his belonging. He knew that other people's opinions of him didn't change his status. So he could take on the role of a Gentile slave and still know that he belonged to God. He didn't need power or position or prestige. His motivation was purely to do what God the Father asked him to do. The pattern that Jesus sets in this example isn't just a challenge of motivation, but of persistent, unconditional love. John records two disciples by name in this passage. One has a dialogue with Jesus, and we'll get to him in a minute. But first, let's think about Judas. Judas. Even the name can bring up a reaction. Judas the traitor, already plotting to hand his friend over to the authorities. The greatest betrayal in history. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what Judas was about to do. And yet, Jesus kneels at Judas's feet and washes them. And a little later in the same meal, Jesus breaks bread, saying, this is my body given for you. And then he offers a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And he breaks his body and pours out his blood for Judas. And at no point... Does Jesus say Judas doesn't deserve his service? So what does it mean to follow Jesus' pattern? To be the humble servant, even when we know that the person we are serving is undeserving. Even when we know the person is ungrateful. Even when we know that the person that we're serving is going to screw us over.
Jesus sets us a pattern of persistent, unconditional love. You see, what Jesus came to teach us is that God doesn't work in a transactional way. We work in a transactional world, cause and effect. I pay money, I get a product or a service. I do work, I get paid. I do good, I get rewarded. I do bad, I get punished. If I do something nice to you, you do something nice to me. If I do something bad to you, you get retribution. Everything is transaction, logged with credit and debt. We get what we deserve. But God doesn't work that way. In God's economy, you do good, you get love. You do bad, you get love. In God's economy, you don't get what you deserve. And we call that mercy and grace. Judas doesn't get told that he's not good enough. He isn't excluded. He's told that he's loved, but his son isn't. So he's just not allowed in. He's not told that he doesn't deserve it. We might think that because we look at Judas' balance sheet and we say that he is in debt. We say that he is not worthy. But God doesn't look at balance sheets. He looks at people. And God says that even Judas is worth it. And persistent, unconditional love is hard and costly. And God is willing to pay that price. And if that isn't enough of a challenge, we have Peter. Jesus kneels to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no. Jesus, miracle worker, who heals and casts out demons and multiplies food, and whom Peter has heard God's voice from a cloud saying, he is the son of God. He's knelt at Peter's feet not only taking on a servant role, but taking on a Gentile slave role. No wonder Peter balked at this idea. I get that. Having other people serve you is something that takes some getting used to. We're okay in restaurants, but even going to somebody else's house for dinner, we feel awkward with them doing all the work. Most of us are quite willing and enjoy serving or helping others, but we can find it really hard to ask for help for ourselves. Age or illness or injury can leave us dependent on other people, and we see that as indignity. It means that you're not able to do it for yourself. These days, if somebody's washing your feet... It probably means that they're helping to wash the rest of you, drying you, dressing you. You've been forced back into being a child, infanticized. And we certainly dread the prospect of a future of commodes and incontinence pads and someone else wiping our backsides for us. 
I wonder how many nurses and healthcare assistants or home carers, people who wipe each other's bottoms, even parents who have small children or disabled children, people who lovingly serve others in their toileting, shudder themselves at the idea of having to have someone else to do that for them. I know that Jesus washed feet, not white bums. But washing feet doesn't make us shudder in the way that it would have made the disciples shudder. We don't want to lose our dignity. We've talked about Jesus following, sorry, following Jesus, us following Jesus' pattern in serving, even serving the undeserving. But what does it mean for us to allow Jesus to serve us? Peter and the disciples were just getting the idea that this Jesus man in front of them was sent by God. The anointed Messiah come to reunite the Jewish nation. A priest, prophet, king rebuilding God's kingdom. It wasn't until later that Jesus' followers was come to understand that Jesus was God himself. Paul was another early follower of Jesus, and he records what was probably a very early hymn. The Messiah Jesus, who though in very nature God, did not regard his equality with God as something he ought to exploit. Instead, he emptied himself and received the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of humans. And then, having human appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Yes, even the death of the cross. Can you suffer the indignity of the Lord of all creation stripping off his garments of divinity and humanity to kneel at your feet and serve you? Peter couldn't. At first, at least. I'm not going to have you wash my feet, says Peter, never. If I don't wash you, Jesus replied, you don't belong to me. And then being typical Peter, he still misses Jesus' meaning and gets carried away. All right then, master, says Simon Peter, but not only my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. And Jesus says that isn't necessary. We lose a little bit in translation. But he says, just as someone who's had their bath only needs to wash their feet when coming in from the road, they don't need to wash their whole body over again. Jesus says that we have to let him serve us to belong to him. But once we do, we don't have to worry about being clean enough or good enough. It's only the bits of our bodies and personalities that pick up the daily grime of life that need a daily wash. Jesus directly dispels the fear that many Christians live in. People who live in a constant panic of their sin sending them to hell. They constantly need to ask for forgiveness for everything they may or may not have done and still worry about whether they asked in the right way to assure their salvation. 
they're not allowing Jesus' service of them. They're still trying to have a full bath every time, and they're snatching the towel out of Jesus' hands and still worrying that they're not clean enough. They're still living in a transactional world of balance sheets and outstanding debts. If you let me wash you, Jesus says, you are clean and you belong to me. Only the daily dust of the road needs a rinse and I'll do that for you. There's still cleaning to be done every day. But the important work is already complete. But we have to suffer the indignity of letting the Son of God serve us. Paul says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death on the cross. Jesus took the place of a Gentile slave, an outsider, the lowest of the low, to serve. And he took the place of a criminal hanging on a tree, a symbol of being rejected by both humanity and by God. And he did that to serve. All to show us that God's economy isn't transactional in the way that we think it is. In God's economy, you don't get what you deserve. And in God's economy, Jesus' death is not the end of the story, but the start of a whole new beginning of restoration and renewal and new life and new hope. This isn't a situation where Jesus, despite being God, washed feet. Jesus washed feet because he is God. And the cross wasn't Jesus dying despite being God. Jesus died on the cross because he is God. Because that is who God is. Jesus, as we see him washing his disciples' feet and hanging on a cross, is a revelation of who God is. God isn't about power and position and prestige, but about stripping himself of his own status to love others. And we have to suffer the indignity of letting God serve us before following his pattern. And if you're thinking, why would I want that? Why would I want to follow Jesus when he asks me to follow that kind of pattern? Well, with that pattern comes absolute knowledge that you are worth it. That you belong and that your purpose isn't defined by anything or anyone else. With that pattern comes a life without the fear that you are not good enough. Just as you are. You can have the absolute knowledge that you are made to be loved and lovable. And from those foundations of identity, you can strip off all that you cling to to maintain your dignity and so live in the pattern of who God made you to be. I'm going to finish with a poem by Anne Siddle. Unless I wash you, you do not belong to me. If only it were otherwise. If only I could present my credentials, show my record of service, get some kind of unlimited pass. 
In every area of my life, I am more used to proving how adequate I am, presenting a polished image, gaining certain privileges. But you, Lord, you bring me down to where you are kneeling to take hold of the feet I prefer to hide. We are here together, near the ground, and in this humble position, I am touched by you and made clean. Amen.